If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Dee Dee Brown, another day, another episode of our lovely love letter, Black on the Scene. How you doing over there, girlfriend? Oh, I'm doing great. We are definitely back on the scene for this episode. Um, We're doing a couple back-to-back today. And, you know, I like to habit stack and get things popping. So yes, I was going to say, this is your, this is your direction of the, of the back-to-back of the stacked. I personally would like to do one a month. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, but we don't have it not. Um, but you are good. You're 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 good at keeping us on on track. So you know, executive producer Dee Dee Brown, <laughs> black hey, on the scene. I'm and just I'm, <laughs> and I'm just I'm just talent. I just show up and you tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> but in showing up, I feel like Didi, you're, you're always showing up and showing out of these looks, also because you have this beautiful like jacket on with a little pop of color. And obviously some accessories to match. And I'm also jealous because I haven't seen any of these before. Yes, you have. I wear these pearls all the time. I haven't um, seen the long necklace. You have a very beautiful long piece. Isn't it cool? It is. It's, um, I don't, I feel like she's a mermaid, a goddess. I don't know. But I had to have it. You know, I like to do my um, vintage shopping when I have insomnia. What I'm trolling Etsy and... Poshmark and all these places that you don't go on, which is why you try to steal my stuff. <laughs> you know what I did? But no, that one time I tried. Um, which one was the one I tried? Was it wasn't was it Poshmark? I wanted the necklace, the um, Nicole Richie um, yes! necklace, and I couldn't yes. find it. So I got over Harlow, it. Uh, <laughs> Harlow. Uh, um, House of Harlow. House of Harlow. Yes, and I still to this day have not found that necklace. No, you did find it. You found it in gold, John, and you wanted the silver. See, she keeps the executive producer, Dee Dee Brown. She's always keeping me on my toes. <laughs> Keyword, trying to keep me on no, my toes. No, that's you keeping me on my toes is you're like, I may be the one, the maniacal one that's like, we need to record 85 sessions in one day. But then you're the one that's maniacal with your editing and redlining, and you have a typo in this email. I'm a little, uh, I'm a little OCD when it comes to stuff like that. Yes, see, this is why we're such a good match. <laughs> we're OCD in different ways. I know it's a perfect, <laughs> it's a perfect mixture of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Sheer chaos. Oh, so wait, man. so Didi, today we're talking to Good one of my day. dear my dear friends um, who you've met no, a number of times and hung around. And what would you say, what, if you had to describe him in one word, what would it be? If you could do one word. There is no one word for Kirkland. Are you <laughs> he is like everything. He's warm and loving but will give you shade in a heartbeat he will um, give you shade in a heartbeat and I, and I told Didi everyone I was like listen I don't know where we're gonna go <laughs> with, with this conversation today because Kirkland, Kirkland <laughs> is he don't have a filter everyone so FYI yeah. 
And I talked to him this morning and I was like, he was like, I'm ready for the show. I was like, okay, great. He was like, I said, okay, Kirkland, like, this is a PG conversation. He's like, no, I'm going to be me. Just like Whitney Houston, just, just me. (laughs) And I was like, sir. I'm ready. This is the only episode we'll probably have where we'll have to give like the disclaimer Adult language has been used, <laughs> and, and, and 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 God bless Kelby because we'll have to edit the beeps and every cursing. <laughs> we'll have to do some, some beeps every now and then. <laughs> I love it. I I love all your friends. Actually, they are really amazing people. Kirkland is super special and so fun, and just a creative energy and force too. Um, he's a great storyteller. Um, and that short time that we did spend together, I did learn quite a few things from him. And you know me, I'm going to sit there and talk to you until it's like everybody's blue in the face and you're like, stop quizzing people. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad he, because, you know, we've been talking to Kirkland, trying to get Kirkland on the show for quite some time. And I'm finally able to get him on today, which is so great. And I've, he's been a dear friend of mine for quite some time. And, you know, as you said, he's so interesting. He's so full of surprises, but he's so smart. And he's been, he's really so created such a really great um, lane for himself in the marketing space, uh, particularly around like dating apps. He's worked at three dating app companies, which I find to be so fascinating uh, and really, um, really making a mark for himself. So I'm, I'm quite excited for this combo. And since I know all about him, I'm going to let you do the honors of giving him his flowers with his formal intro. Woo, I'm so excited to tell everyone a little bit more about Jonathan's impact, which spans multiple marketing disciplines and includes tenures at Viacom, A&E Networks, and iHeartMedia. He is the proud graduate from North Carolina A&T and a member of the Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. He is currently the head of marketing and brand at BLK and a true visionary in the world of marketing and advertising. Throughout his career, Jonathan has developed successful marketing strategies for renowned lifestyle brands and has now taken on the challenge of leading the growth of BLK, the world's leading dating and lifestyle app for Black singles. Jonathan's leadership and innovative vision have led to numerous accolades, including, this is my favorite one, leading BLK's award-winning That's That Thing Up campaign. Woo! I am so happy, happy, happy to welcome my dear friend, Jonathan Kirkland, to Black on the Scene. Welcome, Kirkland! Thanks for having me. I know it's been a long time, but... um... I'm finally here. Finally made it. You are here. Okay, so we want to. We're ready to dive in and talk to you because uh, you have such a great work history. You've done so much in the marketing space at BOK. But I want to go back to the beginning, and I want to paint a picture for our Black on the Scene listeners. I want to know, Jonathan Kirkland, talk to us about young Kirkland. <laughs> who was who was he as a child? What were you watching? Were you this rambunctious and and full of life like you are now? Give us a little bit of context around that. I've always been smart. Always been smart. Um, <laughs> so that's and humble. humble and humble and humble. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, growing up, I grew up in Connecticut. Um, 
only child-ish. It's six of us, but we all have different mothers. So, you know, it's a very big-ish family. But um, grew up as a single child in Connecticut. Lots of fun, lots of family around, vacations, things like that. I was the one that I like to test limits. Like, I don't be... I don't like being told no at all. And um, with that, I just try to see how far I can go without getting in trouble. And I think some of that still is prevalent today, which actually helps me in my marketing career to push those limits and be a little disruptive. But um, yeah, I grew up in Connecticut, top of my class, went to North Carolina A&T, again, top of my class, going back to the whole smart thing, and then moved to New York. That's when I really started my career. So I was in New York from when I was 21 to 27. So we're not going to go into detail of those years of Kirkland because <laughs> that's a whole different person. Um, yeah, some of it you might be able to look up on the internet, but <laughs> after that... <laughs> oh, it's killing me. And, and I know, and I, and I, so that part two, part and two. I, and I know what he's referring to, and I won't mention it. <laughs> <laughs> that we won't speak of. So yeah, so New York was really good. New York, like really. I had my fun, like right after college, being in the young 20s, you know, you move to New York. I used to love sex in the city. That's even how I got my line name the last episode when I pledged Kappa A&T. Um, but you don't live that life at 21 in New York, but you do have some fun. And that was before social media was a thing. So a lot of what I've <laughs> experienced has not been recorded. Thank God. But um, the move to L.A. was there for 10 years. LA, okay, you wait. Kirkland, Kirkland, Kirkland. Yeah. Come back. Come back to me. Come back. I wanted to focus yeah. on your I wanted to focus on your childhood for a second. Oh, you said so, all the way. Oh, I was trying to give you a whole. No, 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 no. Yeah. So so you you said you were always very smart as a child. Were you mm-hmm. watching anything on television? Were you watching anything on um, were you into movies or anything like or music or entertainment or anything like that? Like what was your kind of like go to activity as a child? So as a child, I was a performer. So um, I remember my first Sony. That's what it was called. My first Sony. It was red. It had a microphone. It's kind of like a little karaoke-ish thing without the screen. And I used to always perform Stephanie Mills, um, putting a rush on me. And um... everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Something in the way he makes me feel. Like, those were my go-tos. And my mother and her friends, they love Luther Vandross. So that was always in the background. And I think my first concert ever was a Luther concert. And In Vogue was there. And I used to have the biggest crush on Cindy. Is it Cindy or Sydney? Um, Cindy Heron. Yes. The biggest crush ever. And then i never forget... They were like coming, they were leaving the stage, going like to the back or whatever. And she reached, I reached out and she touched me. And like, it was just an amazing moment. And <laughs> I used to perform, <laughs> I used to perform, I knew the choreography for every move for the in vogue, um, giving him something he, he can feel. And I used to do that in front of my friends, like looking back at that, that seems kind of weird that <laughs> I was performing that in front of my friends. But yeah, I, I used to. That was my jam. And I used to, Whitney Houston was another one. And I used to like perform concerts in the house, in the living room to an audience of none. And I had the whole thing. I would walk down the steps. That would be my entrance. And I would go perform in front of the fireplace. And yeah, that was. (laughs) Wait, so how old are you at this point? So music was a big part Mm -hmm. of 
your upbringing and I guess it was shaping you culturally because these are R&B musical icons. Mm-hmm. I'm tempted to ask you to sing a few bars, but you said you haven't. You're like, no, uh-uh. <clears throat> I haven't had my tea fully yet. And, um, oh, I got it. I got it. <laughs> I, I, I want to see that choreography too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Me> too. <laughs> I love that choreography. I'll do it in person, not on camera. But... Okay. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that when we see each other IRL, we'll 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 do it together as a little. Uh, funny thing. So music is 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 music and videos, of course, because at mm-hmm. this time being able to see the videos are shaping your cultural perspective, and it seems like your creativity. So how do you bridge that performance with marketing? Did you know that that was a job when you or career path when you went to North Carolina A and T? No. Um, well, yes and no. So growing up and also like I'm a real math head, like I love math. My dad was a mathematician. Me and numbers were like really good friends. But so growing up in high school, I always wanted to be an actuary, like with insurance and doing, you know, figuring out the probability and the statistics of people having claims or getting hurt. I'm glad I didn't go that route because sounds no, uh, no offense to um, people in that field, but to me, it's a little boring. It wouldn't have stifled my creativity. And also growing up, going back to childhood, I was in a program called Creative Arts, where we did drawings and dancing and different type of performative things. So I've always had the creative part in me. And then when I went to um, a and I majored in marketing. However, for full transparency, I did business because I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated. And if you think about it, asking a 17-year-old what they want to do for the rest of their life is crazy. Um, so I did business marketing, actually did business administration first, then went into marketing because it's like, that's easy. You know, I get a little business degree and still be able to have fun. I don't have to be like the engineering side of the campus where they're just always in the library, always studying, always doing school. I wanted to have fun when I went to school. But when I graduated, I didn't go into marketing. I didn't go into marketing until later in my career, which is very interesting. I was always on the sales side of the business. So you know, had internships with 3M, had internships with um, Nine Negro College Fund, put me at a company called Household Financial. Um, after college, I had offers from multiple pharmaceutical companies. And again, being young, I didn't accept any of them because the locations that they were going to put me in were like Greenville, North Carolina, or somewhere where I didn't want to live. So I basically left college with no job on my own part because I was more concerned about where I wanted to live versus the actual job. And looking back, like, had enough pharmaceuticals, no, it wouldn't have been the creative part, but I, it's money in pharmaceutical sales. Um, so yeah, so uh, luckily a frat brother looked out for me and then got me a position, a really good position at Aetna Health Insurance. But I learned very early on that wasn't my jam. Like, I didn't want to talk about HMOs and PPOs and POSs for the rest of my life. And at that point, I was probably the youngest person in the department, the only black male in the department. And then I was making more money than some of the people that's been there for years. So obviously that's going to come with some tension. That's going to come with some jealousy. Like to the point, even when I knew I was going to resign, I'm not going to say her name, but I know her name. They they knew I was resigning before I told anybody because after work, they would go in my trash bins to see what papers I was throwing out. So like that type of environment. So 
I just quit. I had no other job lined up. I just quit. <laughs> and then that's when I got into more of the media entertainment world. So like I had a come to Jesus moment and I was like, okay, what do I like to do? I was like, at that point, I like to watch TV. What shows do I like to watch? At that point, Golden Girls. What network is Golden Girls on? Lifetime. So I just applied for a random position at Lifetime. That's how my mind works. Crazy. But um, yeah, it just like it was a sales assistant job, making $30,500 a year living in New York City. Like, yeah. But that gave me the hustle because I was like, going from where I was at at Aetna to $30,000 a year in New York, I was like, I got to hustle. I got to get promoted. I got to do good because I can't live like this. But um, it worked. So, you know, the trajectory and, has been. And, and, and then talk up. So talk about, so you were at, you were at Lifetime in New York making $30,000 a year. And I know there's a few great areas of your New York time we won't discuss, but talk about your professional mm-hmm. lane there, right? Of like how that gradual rise started to happen. Did you have any particular mentors? How, was your network expanding in a particular way? Did you have a part-time gig to kind of help with extra money? Right. How are you making ends meet? Because $30,000 in New York, you might like, did you have like 10 roommates? What was going on? No, I was by myself, actually. Um, Let's see. Well, part of that time, so, okay, I'll allude to a little bit of it. So, at the end of my (laughs) Aetna Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) I was in a relationship. It was a very, very bad breakup. And so it was kind of one of those things. This is just so funny to me. I went home to Connecticut and just didn't show up to work for like two weeks because I thought, you know, I just needed a break. (laughs) Not telling anybody. Then they emailed me a letter saying, if you don't show up by X date, we're going to terminate your position. So I showed up by the date, but I just still didn't want to be there. So then part of the time that I was making the 30000 after Aetna, I was living in Jersey with my ex's cousin. Obviously, my ex didn't know that I was living there. So, you know, the rent was like, he charged me, I think, like $300 or $400 a month. So that was fine. But then when I did get my own apartment, I took out a loan. Yeah, I think I took out a loan, like a small loan just to, like, have some money. But, yeah, that's the struggle. But that, that, that to me, is, like, what gives people drive is the struggle to like get out of whatever situation you're in. Cause if you're always comfortable, you're never going to grow. Um, so yeah. Does and so then talk, question? yeah. Then talk about how you were growing in your career. So how was that trajectory? Like going from oh, yeah. lifetime to Viacom was in there somewhere. Right. And mm-hmm. did you have mentorship oh. or how, how was that happening? Yeah. Going back to the mentorship thing, I was going to bring that up. So within my career, especially like in those days and through with mid career, I don't know where I'm at career now, but, um, so having those relationships and those mentorships and like being true, being authentic, being part of a team that has really helped me. So when I was at Lifetime, my boss at that time, she went to go to Viacom. So then she got me interviews and got me into Viacom. When I was at Viacom, um, one of the VPs left to go to what was it, Current TV and then he brought me with him to Current TV. And he brought a lot of MTV people to current TV. So, like, a large part of my trajectory has been people bringing me along on their journeys, too. Um, going back to the whole teamwork, one team, trust um, is a big part of it. So, that's really been, and if you look at my LinkedIn, I've had a lot of jobs. I know I'm skipping over some, but um, it's really been about me going along with people who are also progressing. So, it's familiar. 
Well, that's so key, right? And we know that it sounds like you had a combination of mentorship and sponsorship, right? Mm-hmm. So you're you're smart enough to know who to, as they say, hitch your wagon to. Mm-hmm. But I'm also curious, how are you at? Because in New York, you're closer to family in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. What was the move or the inspiration to leave this career trajectory in New York family and then move all the way to LA? Well, when I was in New York, um, my colleague in LA, he left to go to some other, I think Univision. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So then I convinced the VP in New York, instead of hiring somebody in this remote office and, you know, Viacom's headquartered in New York, it would make more sense for you to have somebody at headquarters that you can train that can be under everybody here locally and then send me, who you already know, to L.A. Because at that point, I always said I wanted to live in New York and L.A. before I turned 30 because I thought 30 was so old. <laughs> here I am 10 years later. Um, so yeah, so that's what I think 30 is old until we get there. And then we're we're like, wait, 30 is so you meet somebody 30 now and you're like, oh my God, you're so young. You're so young. Right. (laughs) But, but yeah, like with me, I'm a big risk taker. So I'm about taking risks. Like I told you, when I quit, um, Aetna, nothing lined up. Even when I went to college every year, except freshman year, I had no housing. I would just show up to college with no room, no door, no nothing. But, you know, I made it work. I bought one lady Bojangles and then she got me into a suite on my, my sophomore year. But yeah, it was, I'm always a risk taker. And John might even say, I don't, I'm not a planner. And <laughs> so, not, not at all. Insert, <laughs> insert this morning. <laughs> yeah, it was early. So you moved to LA. Yeah. You moved to LA. Mm-hmm. And wait, so you were in New York for what, 10 years? Ten-ish? I was in New York for six years, six LA years? for 10 years, okay, Austin for 10 months, and now Dallas for three years. So when you moved to LA, and I don't I don't actually think I know this question, which I assume I know it, but I don't think I know it for sure. But like you did you you knew you had a you had a, a network of friends and, and people out here you knew whatever everything, right? You didn't just come out here blind. Yeah, small network. Like I don't even know Derek McKelvin. Um he's in DC now, but he used to live in New York, then he moved to LA. So, and some other people that I knew. So it was a small network that I had, but I think that was also important. And he worked in entertainment. Actually, he worked at Lifetime. Um, so having that, and I'm sure as y'all know, in LA you need that because LA can be so right. bubbled and segmented, and you can feel very lonely in a large city. So that was key. And then you know me, I, I like being out and about and I'll talk to and meet anybody, whether that's good or bad, <laughs> but it is what it is. So yeah, my mouthpiece has helped me a lot. And a lot of ways. I, I will never, I will never forget when I moved to LA in 2014, I kept hearing this name Kirkland, Kirkland, Kirkland. And I was like, no, I don't know who this person is. And we have the same name. And I was like, I don't know him. And he's like, well, he's like the mayor of LA. And he has all these parties and he will, he will welcome you and he'll welcome you in a very specific way. 
You said this is a PG show. It okay. is. I ain't going to say what it is. Okay. But I just always remember that. <laughs> Wait a minute. I was forewarned that you were coming with the fire. And I have, I'm waiting for the fire. What is this Kirkland way? And what about these parties that uh, you would throw in LA? And how did you, how did you start? So your party promoting, is this uh kind of a side hustle or it's another way to meet people what was the inspiration behind throwing it's only one party a year kirkland christmas and it's been going on for 10 years i canceled it last year because um i wanted to celebrate me turning 40 and not christmas it was going to be all about me but then two of my friends decided to get married the day after my birthday and have a whole weekend around my birthday so they trumped my 40th birthday but I'm announcing here for the first time I'm ever saying it out loud. Kirkland Christmas is coming back for 2023. So, I'm fresh. <laughs> so yeah, be on the lookout. It'll be December, probably the second week in December. But um, Kirkland Christmas is back. It's coming back. Okay, and so it's what like happens at Kirkland Christmas that you guys are giving each other the eye. John, your first Kirkland <laughs> Christmas. What had happened? <laughs> oh, a lot happened. Well, well. Also, to be very clear, Kirkland. Yes, Kirkland. I feel like your um, your that's sort of like your primary thing. But Kirkland would do like these little pop up gatherings at his house oh, yeah. all the time. So like, oh, yeah. it's Super Bowl. It's Easter. It's Beyonce's new album. Yeah, y'all y'all put too many pheromones and memories and experiences in that place. <laughs> it's videos. It's been plenty nights that turned into mornings that turned into the next night. It's been police so calls. So he just he us. just he just was a very sociable person, Dee So he just always had a like we're going to go to Kirkland's place. Like it just always was like yeah. the place to go for everything. Um, no, otherwise and, known as the party house. Correct, basically. Yeah, and it, and it was, yeah. and every time he moved, it would it would go with him. <laughs> Until I, he moved. Think that, like, I would literally move further and further away from people, but the oh sorry, the people, <laughs> the people right, would now, we're into it. now we're getting into it. <laughs> so but, Brooklyn, you're you're throwing these amazing parties. You're known as the mayor of L.A. You're also Dee Dee. Sorry to cut you off, but. Little known fact, Kirkland actually ran for the mayor of Los Angeles. Like, he legally. We had meetings. We were out in the streets getting petitions and signatures. We were out in the clubs. Like, when people paid their money to get to the club, they had to sign my petition. Kirkland, please, Kirkland, please talk about your inspiration behind why you wanted to run for mayor. What year? This was 2017, 18? And what was your slogan? Um, did I have one? I just know my button looked really good. So it was Kirkland. It's upstairs, but it said Kirkland, but it was written like the Hollywood sign. And then the LA and Kirkland was like a different color to make it stand out. The marketing was going to be amazing. But, um, no, I did stand for something. Homelessness was one of them. And I forgot what the other two were, but I ran, I think it was 17, whatever year Trump got elected. Um, cause everybody was just so like, upset, felt defeated, like everybody was down about it. But I took the opposite turn and the opposite spin on it because I'm like, if this person could be president of the United States, anybody can run for anything. So I looked it up. I found out all you need to run for mayor in LA is to be 18 and live in the city for a year. That's it. No other qualifications. So 
I went down to the, um, what was it, the city hall? I don't even know what the building was. But I went there, stood in line, filled out my application, got my paperwork. And then to get on the ballot, you have to just get 500 signatures from L.A. city residents. And so that's what we were doing. Like, we were out on the street trying to get the signatures. And it's so easy. Like, there are people and companies that will do it for you. You just pay them, like, $2 a signature. So it's like 1000 bucks to get on the ballot. Again, more corrupt stuff, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, and I wasn't paying, so I was actually trying to do it. But the issue was a lot of people in L.A. don't realize they don't live in L.A. proper. Like, if you're in Culver City, if you're in Burbank, if you're in... WeHo. Inglewood, <laughs> yeah. WeHo, Hills and the way that the city map is drawn it's so interesting where it's like the LA from like downtown all that LA that we're familiar with then it's literally just a line down the highway where there's no houses and then it opens back up I think it's Palos Verdes or somewhere like that down there so it's very interesting so like I want people to any takeaway like get involved in voting politics and just be aware especially on a local level, because I think that's how things really change and you can make an impact. Um, so, yeah. So my thing with running was more about trying to give some inspiration into it and also expose how foolish it is that anybody 18 years old that's been in the city for a year can be the mayor of L.A. So and did you get your signatures and get on the ballot? No, because a couple of reasons. So <laughs> in John. <laughs> John can, well, some people weren't in L.A. City proper. Some people, I might have put their names on it, um, and they match up signatures. <laughs> then some people just didn't want to deal with me because John can attest to this. Like, out in the streets, people would, like, ask me questions and talk about stuff, and I didn't want to do that. I was like, just sign the, sorry, sign the paper. And you're not voting for me, just get on the ballot. Like, John's had to push me away from people a few times because I would get attitudes and they would ask me, what's your platform? What you running on? This but I'm like, when I, what I would tell him, like, that's what people are going to expect you to do is... So John was your unofficial campaign manager. <laughs> yeah, he was. Were you my I campaign was. manager? Yeah. yeah, I was. I was. And he would always yell at me. And so I'm like... That was about right. He yells at me all the time. <laughs> He's my campaign manager, and I ain't running for nothing. Right, <laughs> I was in an abusive relationship. Well, Kirkland, Kirkland, Kirkland is the most random person in the most in the best way because he's like he'll wake up and like, all right, because he, he. So what he did, Didi, just to, to divert for a second, he called this meeting. He tells what we were going to this meeting for, <laughs> and like pretty much all the different movers and shakers of LA, right? And we go to this meeting. And we're like, what is he talking about? If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's. Talking about, and then he's, I think you had like a, um, you'd like debut some images or some like artwork, marketing artwork mm -hmm. of like Kirkland for mayor. And we're like, are you really wanting to run for mayor? Uh -huh. <laughs> he had he had food and, and liquor, got us all boozed up, and then he made this big announcement and was like, "I want everyone's support." And every he had a plan for what everyone to do. I was going to do communications and be his campaign yeah. manager. And Nate was Nate was there. James Bland was there. It was a it was crazy. <laughs> I had a presentation. Everybody had their takeaways, like the printed out presentation and a packet of what they were supposed to do afterwards. And, and going back to going. 
back to your point about you being smart, he is Kirkland is very smart because he can he can sell a narrative on something because mm-hmm. everyone was like, "We'll help you, we got it." Like we just we got it. <laughs> so Kirkland, what did you learn from that experience? What I what I'm learning about you, and I got that sense from meeting you and, and just being around you that you're so free spirited and mm-hmm. so creative, but you also have a sick business brain, like. It is beyond. You are a real estate mogul in your own right. You know how to make some money. Talk to me about what you learned from that experience and how this free-spirited nature of yours kind of maybe drives that business side or because it seems like you're really, you go with your heart and inspiration. Mm -hmm. things. And that's going back to just being authentic to who you are in times and like there's been plenty of positions or opportunities or jobs that were offered to me that have turned down because it's like great money even like the Aetna thing that's what's still stuck in my mind a little bit it's like you only have one life you only live so much you're at work for the majority of your lifetime you're with your work people more than you are your friends and family you think about work even when you're with your friends and family so it's like if that's going to be a big part of your life it needs to be something that you enjoy and how do you make it work for you so like I've even like helped friends out who were like trying to stuck somewhere and didn't know what they wanted to do next. Something as simple as even like a t-shirt, t-shirt, or just putting down like what you like to do and then making money from that. And I'm a Capricorn and I'm a Capricorn to the core. And one thing about it is we will work and we will not be poor. Um, so however you get it by what the old people say, hook a crook. Um, I'm, gotta go crook. <laughs> I'm definitely getting old. If I just said that phrase, but, um, but yeah. And one thing also like from the business mindset is just not relying on one source of income. And I know it can sound like, cause even when people used to say that to me, it could seem like that's hard to attain, but in today's world, there's so many ways to do it. Even if it's, I was actually an Uber driver at one point. Um, I did two rides before they fired me, but you know, just like having those types of hustles. And even if it's Grubhub or even like now, um, my guy at Neiman's told me, which I didn't even know about, clothes can be an income um, stream. Like buying, it's going to sound so bougie, but like if you buy like couture pieces that, you know, it's not many of them, you can wear them and then sell them for higher than what you pay for them. So like just thinking outside of the box and that unconventional hustle, but still having your main source of income. Because one thing, again, that I've learned is that, because when I'm at BLK, this has been three years. This is the longest I've ever been at one company at a time, which might sound insane. So I know that you can be in a great position today and in something completely different tomorrow. And especially working in the field that I work in, where it's been a lot of tech companies, startup companies, when you grow them, to a great place, it's visibility, especially before they're public, to get acquired or to go public. And when that happens, everything changes. So that's happened at least two or three times in my career. So it's always been a good thing. But personally, it's like, oh, what are you going to do next type thing? So just always having that in mind and trying to like stay ahead of that from the business mindset is like, okay, if this goes left, I'm still going to be okay because of X, Y, Z. So that's always like how I think in my brain. Oh, Didi, you got it. You want me to eat? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> no, no, 
it's so funny because I'm like, John always says I try to take over his friends when we, when we talk to his friends, but it's because I don't get a lot of time with y'all and I am known as a friend stealer. (laughs) So you're able to marry this, you bring your entrepreneurial endeavors to your job. So let's Mm -hmm. talk about how you've expanded BLK. I kind of remember when you started the job, because I think I was working at an agency that we pitched mm. you guys for some for some business. Mm. I want to hear all about working with this black dating app and the Vax That Thing Up campaign and how you're bringing all of your free-spirited and entrepreneurial uh, ways to, to this role. Yes, because when we talked before, when I first started three years ago, we were BLK was at a very different space. So before I joined, there was no like, first of all, there were no black people dedicated to the brand. That's number one. And so there wasn't any like brand tone, brand feel, brand voice, brand marketing. So that's what I was brought in to do. So in the three years, the growth has been amazing. So what was it? April 2020, when I started, we were at 2.6 million downloads. Now we're surpassed 9 million in three years. So a lot of that has to do with me just showing up as me. When I had my interview in person, when they flew me out to Dallas for the interview, I had on a beanie and my shirt was buttoned down to here. <laughs> and I was just real. And so this actually, what I'm wearing now is dressed up for me for work. Cause typically my typical outfit is a hoodie and a hat. Um, and everybody knows that, and especially like representing black culture and representing BLK, I just have to say true to me. And even though I'm a black boy that grew up in Connecticut around a lot of Jewish people, I'm still black. And I have friends like John and friends a little more street that, um, (laughs) that honed me into, um, you know, things going on in culture. And so with BLK, it's, I take a lot of risks even with the job. So even going to the Vax That Thing Up campaign, what we do a lot of is making sure that we think of it more than just a dating app, but as a resource for the community. Since we have the platform, we have the people, we have the voice, how do we get the voices of our users out there and help the community? So at that point, we knew that Black people, especially younger Black people, weren't getting vaccinated at the rates that, you know, we would have hoped to, and there's reasons, I, like I get it, with black people, vaccinations, totally get it with the history. So we just wanted to like spark a conversation around it in a fun way that wasn't preachy. So that's when the idea, we worked with the agency majority, Vax That Thing Up came up. So it's like, yes, we're definitely doing that. And then last year with the midterm elections, a lot of people, myself included, really didn't know or understand the importance of the midterm elections because it's like, we just came out the presidential elections. I'm over it, you know, midterms, but that's where, like I said earlier, the local level is where things happen and where things can, you know, really impact you on your day to day. So that's when we, you know, did it again and partnered with Saucy Santana and Trina to come out with a video and a song, no voting. So, in both cases, people loved it. People hated it. They were like, why did you mess up a song that's a classic? And then the election one, it was like, oh, you think that this is the only way that Black people will understand how to vote? No, but it was for people who might have liked it, but at least it sparked a conversation about 
there's an election coming up. So that's a big thing of what we've done. And with me internally, it's just always so interesting, the conversations I have to have um, to explain Black culture, to explain, you know, and initially in the beginning, not so much anymore, I would sometimes get pushback, like, from non-Black people thinking that my idea would be offensive to Black people. And I'm like, I'm Black. And I talk to my friends about it. <laughs> Nobody's offended. But still, like, having that mindset of, like, let's push the needle, tap into the creative side, go to the line, but don't go over it. That's how I think. And that's how, like, you know, I think that's been a big part of our success at BOK. And I'll never forget having a meeting with the CMO of Match Group over all the brands, Tinder, Hinge, okay, keep it all of them, and having to explain to her when and like that was in the meeting. <laughs> and then, no. And then even with the no voting, she was in the meeting and we had executives in the room. So we were reading the lyrics, which we toned down for the final version, but treating this thing listen this and so like reading this out loud in a room it was I'm, like, yeah, I, I'm gathering is. hr was not present no 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 no, no nor legal <laughs> but yeah like hey there ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster oh you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you yeah or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. That's what I said. Like, this is just, I never in a million years would have thought that this was even a possibility of a job or of a career. Um, so yeah, like if anybody that's listening can take something away, it's like, just don't limit yourself to what you see. You can create something, even though I didn't create be okay, but you can create something based on you and what your interests and likes are. Look at, you, look, look, at, look at you spitting facts. Um, I love that. So Kirkland, talk to us about, um, your trajectory, right? Of like what, like the next the next 10 years of your, of your professional career. Um, I've, you, you've done a lot, you've done advertising, you've done marketing, you're, you've done different industries. Is there anything else that you feel like is on your bucket list from a professional perspective that you want to still accomplish? Like I could see you being a decorator. Yeah. Yes. Oh God. We didn't even talk about that. Um, real estate empire, empire, interior decorator, this all around creative. But like, is there anything else like top of mind that you like, I really want to make sure I do this? Oh, such a hard question for me to answer. Um, in 10 years, hopefully I'm not working um, in a good way. <laughs> but we'll, we'll be celebrating your big. Oh, God. 
<laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like when I got out of sales, it was purposeful because I wanted to go into the marketing side. Because in ad sales, I will always like look at the people in the industry, and everybody's young-ish. So I was always like, where do people go when they hit like forty or forty-five? Because it's literally in the media ad sales business, a seller is trying to get business from these agency folks, which are all like pretty much in their 20s. So you're trying to play beer pong at 45 for 20 year old. So that's that's why I'm so glad I was able to transition into marketing when I did. But even in the marketing lane, which I love it, I love the creativity of it, um, the cadence of it. But that's why, like I said, I'm, I'm shocked I haven't gotten bored with this being three years and the longest I've ever been in one position. There could be something where in the future trajectory, like being behind the scenes and thinking about investing in startups, so like angel investor or like things like that, where I can one, help people, and then two, hopefully make some good profit from it as it grows. So that's definitely one lane that I'm thinking about as far as growth, because, you know, marketing's fun, but you get bored, I'm sure, at some point. <laughs> so not bored. Sorry, not bored. But, you know, like me, I'm spontane spontaneous and um, I like to take risks. So we'll see when that next itch happens. Oh, I love that you're a risk taker and it, it, it's super inspiring to me because I would say I'm probably not as big of a risk taker, but I do believe in serendipity and everything working out mm -hmm. for your highest good. Um, and I'm learning more and more about showing up to not just work, but places like wholeheartedly and myself mm -hmm. and what I'm loving about you is that you are wholeheartedly yourself in and out of the office. You're like, you're going to get all of this. You're going to get the <laughs> low cut shirt, the beanie, all of it. And I'm going to, you know, outwork you, be more creative. And this is just what it is. And I, I, I love and appreciate that about you and a lot of you younger uh, executives and, 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 and black folks. I'm curious to know um, on the heels of you, you've turning 40 or mm -hmm. you turned 40 last year you're still yes. younger than me so don't worry about it and you're younger than hip-hop and i'm not so <laughs> no that cannot be true that cannot be true watch it john i don't need you co-signing <laughs> he always likes to remind me uh, <laughs> anyway um kirkland so all these really, you said something that I thought was super interesting. You've never been at a job longer than three years, right? Mm -hmm. So what is your advice for this risk-taking, but it always, is there a time where you did take these risks career-wise and you feel like they didn't pay off or have they always paid off? You jump because there's more money. You're not creatively inspired. How do you navigate that? And any advice for maybe someone like me who is like, I'm not a risk-taker. I'm trying to think of the different positions. There's one, like iHeart was a shit. Well, actually, no, iHeart and another one that I'm not going to mention their name. But um, yeah, because it's been five years, so I can talk about iHeart. Um, so basically, if there's a moment where you feel 
like you're not having fun or you're not into it or it's a chore, that's when you know it's time to go. And I'll say if you live in California, you can talk to me on the side because you'll you'll be okay for about a year in California until <laughs> yeah. you figure it out not working. But um but yeah, it's always stay true to yourself. And like a lot of that is because going back to like early in my career at Aetna, um, even at Lifetime and part of um Viacom MTV, I couldn't show up to work my full self, you know? Like at Aetna, I was wearing ties and suits and things like that. But soon as it was time to go, I had my jeans and everything else in my bag so I can go to happy hour with my friends and then be Jonathan, be Kirkland. So if you can't show up for yourself, it just might not be the good fit for you professionally or career-wise because, you know, especially like being Black, being young, there's a lot of greatness in us and there's a lot of power in us. And you can't dim that. You can't dim that. And it's not about showing up being like, I'm high and mighty, but it's just showing up as who you are. And if they can't accept that, then that's not the right place for you. And it's okay to take that risk for where you fit in. Because like I said, work is going to be a big part of your life. And the way that Social Security is going, we're going to be working till we're 90. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Well, Kirkland, one thing I can say about you, you are who you are and you show up with your true authentic self each and every time. Didi, there are times that I try to PR Kirkland and try to censor him. And, he, and he's always like, don't PR me. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, Kirkland. I'm like, well, you could say it a little differently. You could have done it a little differently, but he is who he is. And we love you for it, Kirkland. And we love that you oh, took the time to be on Bacchus today. And you can only be me. What's and who was that from? Mary that J. Blige. Yeah. Mary J. Blige. Take me yes, as I am. <laughs> well, Kirkland, thank you so much. This was so great. Um, we could talk to you for many, many more hours, but we well, have let's to do wrap. it. I'm in the mood now. Come no. on, I'm up. <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna give us a little giving him something we can he can feel. Do a no, little choreography. <laughs> As we close, give us a little note. Come on. Give us a a little vocal. No. (laughs) We tried, people. We tried. We tried to to have the the solo debut of Kirkland Uh. on Black on the Scene. But Kirkland, seriously, thank you so much. This was so great. We love you dearly. And there will be a part two. So just you wait. Anytime. I'm here for And again, sorry for taking so long to get on, but I'll be back anytime you want me. I'll be a guest host. Yeah. Oh, my God. We would love that. We actually would love that. You sub in. You sub in when we can't do it. Oh, absolutely. You. Now you. But you have absolutely. to be on time. But you have to come on time. I will be. I will be. Okay. I will be. I told you I didn't read the email. I didn't know it was going to be on camera, so I had to, like, shave. Well, you have to read the email, and then you have to be on time. All right. Okay. I got it. I got love it. you, Kirkland. I love y'all, too. Thank you. Love you, guys. See you guys next time. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba.